an important food, a healthy food, and a basic food that can be served in more than a hundred different ways. Hello and welcome to the Fat for Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and I am your host for today's episode. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, let me introduce myself. Firstly, I am from Australia, if you hadn't already guessed from the accent, and I run a ketogenic food blog called Fat for Weight Loss, found at fatforweightloss.com.au. And the aim of this podcast is to dig into the world of nutrition, fitness, and everything in between. I'm a nutritional therapist and an advanced sports exercise nutritional advisor. However, I'm not a doctor, so I cannot give you any medical advice. This also applies to any guests involved in this show. Please make sure you consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet or medication. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Fat for Weight Loss for delicious keto recipes, meal plan videos, and drool-worthy food photography. For my second episode, I'm interviewing Aaron Dupree. He's a father to fraternal twin, 16-year-old boys Peter and William, and 12-year-old daughter Caroline. Currently age 44, Aaron has been married to his wife Sarah for 20 years this September. He grew up in the very small town of Morristown in New York, which is right on the Canadian border, and his graduating class only had 30 kids. He went to college at SUNY, Cortland, majoring in communications. He's been editing video for a living since 1997 in Boston, Massachusetts, and the Albany area of New York, which gives him some nifty tricks for his YouTube channel that we'll touch on in today's episode. Aaron started the ketogenic diet in January of 2017 and has lost around 65 pounds until this date, which is around 30 kilos for anyone who's not in the States. He's been maintaining his desired weight since November of 2017. As well as being a huge part of the ketogenic Instagram community, Aaron also has a YouTube channel, which he started in July of 2017, where he does keto eating vlogs, product reviews, and the occasional recipe. Aaron and I also share a common interest in standing almost a head taller than most people, coming in at six foot three and six foot five, respectively. You're going to love this episode, and we talk everything from cholesterol right through to Aaron's favorite keto recipe, described in tantalizing detail at the very end. So go ahead and find him over at Twitter, his website, Instagram, and YouTube at ADKeto to check out his full day of eating vlogs product reviews like ice cream, and much, much more. So please welcome Aaron Dupree. Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, my man. How are you? It's so fantastic to be on your show. I'm, I'm excited. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, I'm, I'm so excited because this is the second episode of the Fat for Weight Loss show, and it's something that I wanted to do for a long time, and you know, I've, I've seen your uh, fantastic video editing skills and I've seen all of your Instagram stories and all of your, uh, you know, I've just been following you for a long time. So it's really, really awesome to have you here. Um, it, what have you been up to today? Uh, likewise, I must say, before I get into it, uh, yeah, I mean, you were one of the first, I think one of the first uh, websites um, that I visited when I was looking for recipes when I first started. I don't know if I ever told you that. Um, I was like, this guy's, I think, uh, it was one of your cheesecakes. I think when I first started keto, I was like looking for a recipe and I think I remember seeing you, but then not connecting with you until later. Um, 
So yeah, it all comes around. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, uh, I, <laughs> it's so cool to hear stories. It, like it is. It's 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 wild. Uh, did you ask what I ate today? Was yeah. Oh, I said what? What are you up to today? But yeah, let's start with what you ate today. Well, what I ate today is what I'm up to today. Uh, I had very little to eat today. Um, I had a coffee this morning. I had a coffee at about two o'clock, and then I came home tonight at about seven, and I went and made uh, two eighty twenty patties, ground beef uh, with uh, three fried eggs, some alternative sweets, ketchup, and wolfed it down and. Uh, it was delicious, and Ooh. now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound delicious. I, uh, I I have a particular love for beef patties, um, just because they're so easy. You know, you just put them in the frying pan and you have some eggs with it. Yeah. it it's such a it's such an easy meal. I actually did it all outside. I um, my grill has a little side uh, side burner that you can put a frying pan on. So I was outside doing eggs and uh, grilling up some burgers. Good time. Ah. <laughs> You've got one of the fancy, um, but we call them barbecues here in Australia. Yeah. And uh, I, I remember my first barbecue, I turned the gas on and I was living in an apartment and it just wouldn't turn on. And so I had to lift the entire grill off the top, light the fire, didn't realize the gas had been on for the entire time, burnt all of the, <laughs> most oh, of the hair no. off the front of my face. <laughs> You know what? <laughs> so that don't do that. almost happened to me yesterday. Um, I was, it's actually, I captured it because I've had, my grill is not the best grill. It's got that cool little sidecar thing, but it really has a temperamental igniter or ignition thing. Um, so I turn the gas on. I can hear it. I can hear the gas hissing and I'm clicking the igniter and nothing is, ha- I clicked it like 10 times and nothing is happening. I was like, oh man. Um, so I got my phone out. I was like, I know as soon as this catches, it's going to be a gigantic fireball. Um, so I squatted down in front of it so as to, you know, guard the facial situation uh, and it finally lit. And, um, I must say it was less impressive than I was hoping for, uh, just a little fireball, uh, but still I captured it. So it's going to be in a video at some point. <laughs> oh, nice. All right. Well, you'll have to share it with us on Instagram. Um, you know, so from lighting fires and, and, uh, telling us what you, uh, ate during the day, um, can you like? I like to start with a you know a little personal story, and uh, this is something that you know I, I might try and uh, get into the details of a little bit. But you know, can you tell me how a fourteen-year-old obsessed with professional wrestling, Aaron, was taken to the doctors doing a flying drop kick into a gigantic pile of pillows and blankets? Can you elaborate on that a little bit because that's pretty interesting. Uh, I can elaborate a little bit on it. Um, I think that. 14, this is 1988, uh, and 14 year old Aaron was fueled, um, by equal parts, probably boredom, uh, sugar, maybe a sugar rush and Hulkamania. Uh, it was coursing through my veins. My, you know, my mom had this, uh, hope chest that I, that I climbed up onto. I piled up a bunch of pillows and cushions in the middle of the floor. I was like, I'm giving this thing a drop kick right in the chops. And I just forgot how gravity worked and um, landed kind of with my full body weight on my wrists and knew pretty much immediately that I was in trouble and they were broken. Uh, My mom was not home at the time. I was there with a friend uh, who refused to believe that I had hurt myself and wouldn't crack ice cubes for me to to, to take care of anything. So um, I ended up uh, calling my mother and she came home and took me to the ER and 
Uh, hours later, I had casts on both arms and spent that entire summer um, marching in marching band, uh, playing the tuba with two um, casts uh, on my wrists. Much fun. And it really smelled good, too. It was really, uh, by the end of the summer, the, uh, the waft was pretty strong. Oh yeah. I, it, um, okay. So there's a few things I want to ask you about that. Can you explain to everyone what a drop kick is? Cause uh, like a drop kick here in Australia is where you, where you drop a ball and you kick it, you know, oh, yeah. like, like they're doing rugby union soccer, or something. The soccer like drop kick. Yeah. Yeah. But, but can you, can you sort of explain to us what a drop kick looks like and you know, how, how you landed on, on both your wrists? Is it sort of like a double feet flying kick or is it, you know, something totally different? <laughs> it's uh, uh this is funny i haven't thought about drop kicks in probably 20 years but uh in professional wrestling as far as i know um you know when the person who is performing the drop kick has their opponent in front of them staggered and dazed and he leaps into the air um off of two feet and kicks his opponent in the chest uh and when he makes contact with the chest kind of twists his body so that he lands catches himself with his hands and lands on his own stomach while his opponent goes flying out of the ring and smashes his head on the steel chair or something. <laughs> well, I, I guess maybe, you know, the pillows might've been your nemesis in that, in that instance. <laughs> Tougher than I thought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so uh, you, you sort of had to do a little bit of a walk of shame where your friend's like, nah, they're not oh. broken. Yeah. You, you know, it's fine. Look, can you, can you, Put, put your fingers together and you go, no. Yeah. I was like, dude, I cannot, I cannot move my hands. You need to, I think he actually called my mother for me. He ended up actually oh. <laughs> believing me after a while when I, when I did, you know, I just kept perseverating. Um, but my, my drop kick, my drop kick was not the standard drop kick. Mine was a flying drop kick, meaning um, that I was up on something um, high off the ground, a couple feet off the ground. Uh, and so I wasn't jumping from a standing position. I was jumping, from an elevated uh, perch, which made it uh, much worse. <laughs> oh, look, it's just, it, it's, it's such a great story. And thank you for sharing that with us today. Yeah. Um, so from, you know, from that 14 year old obsessed with professional wrestling, Aaron, what, what do you think uh, has changed about you now? And uh, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe what you do, you've got an Instagram account, you've got a YouTube, can you, you know, sort of explain maybe where, where you come from and why, why you do what you do at the moment? Sure. Yeah, that's, uh, I'd be happy to The um, the first thing I'll say is I'm probably still 14 um, on the inside, you know, I'm a, I'm a man child of sorts. Um, but uh, growing up in, I grew up in a really tiny town. Like part of the reason I think I did that is because I was just bored. Um, the town I grew up in was very tiny. It was, um, it's called Morristown, New York. It's right on the Canadian border, way up in St. Lawrence County on the St. Lawrence River. Um, I had a very small uh, class, um, small school. Uh, it was kindergarten through 12th grade in the same building. Uh, and I graduated high school with uh, 30 other kids. So very, very small. Um, and living in such a tiny place is kind of, I don't know, it's like a double-edged sword, I guess. There's, um, you know, there's, there wasn't a, a whole lot to do because there was no internet. Um, you know, there's just not, whole, not a whole lot to do, especially at age 14 when your main tr mode of transportation is your bike and there's not a whole lot of things, places to go or things to do. Um, but 
that said, if you had any interest in doing anything, if you showed any interest in anything, uh, you were in. Basically, if you thought you might want to play an instrument um, in fifth grade, um, you know, you were first chair trombone. If you if you decided after a few years of not playing that you wanted to give soccer a go, you were starting striker on the front line on your first game. It, it's kind of like the opportunities were there. And I think that really, um, you know, with some exceptions, kind of um, it, it led me to a place where I had courage to try stuff. And, you know, I wasn't af afraid of new things, really. Um, but I was kind of a picky eater. So that's kind of a paradox. But uh, experiences. I wasn't really afraid of, of, of new things or, or kind of scary things. Um, so I grew up there in a super small town. I went to college in central New York, south of Syracuse, at a place uh, at a school called uh, Cortland, State University of New York College at Cortland. Um, decided that I would do uh, communications as a major. That seemed like sort of a catch-all major. I didn't really know what I was going to do, um, but I figured that would be, you know, Whatever I decided to do, that would kind of be appropriate. Uh, I ended up taking uh, taking a TV production class my junior year, and I really kind of fell in love with it, even though it didn't have any sort of editing um, component to it, which would eventually become my career. But I sort of got the taste for that sort of thing um, in my junior year, which is also when I met um, my future wife. So uh, she was a year ahead of me, and... Um, that was a rough year when she graduated and I was still there, uh, just kind of biding my time until I was done. I graduated in 1996 uh, and I moved in with her. She lived in the Albany area. Uh, we got an apartment here for about a year and then we moved uh, to Boston in 1997. Actually, before we moved, I took another course, another uh, TV production course um, and was introduced to editing. So I really kind of fell in love with it. This is about the time that uh, nonlinear editing was becoming a thing uh, prior to around this time. It had all been sort of tape to tape, sort of uh, old school editing. Uh, but I learned um, on nonlinear editing, uh, this new thing mm -hmm. uh, on an avid media composer. Uh, anyway, we moved to Boston in 97. She uh, did her master's at Boston University. And I found a job at a production company south of Boston. And I started as uh, their courier. I saw the place. I really fell in love with it. I saw the person whose job I wanted. Um, he was, you know, I saw they had like a, a team of editors there. Um, unfortunately he was a really nice guy and I couldn't hate him too much. Um, and that guy's actually now he, um, just, I think he was involved in editing some of the bonus features on star Wars recently and stuff like that. So it's, he's gone a long way, but, um, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew I liked this place. Um, so I took any job they had, they, put me in their van delivering packages. Uh, and on my first day on the job, this is a small town uh, kid who really hadn't ever driven in any place with more than one streetlight in the town. Uh, they sent me up into Boston's financial district, which if you don't know, is a series of one-way streets and uh, built for horses and carriages in the 1700s. Uh, and it's a nightmare. And I had... This was before GPS. I had just a paper map uh, and I ended up getting into an accident my first day on the job in their company van. Uh, but, so I called back and I was like, you know, I've, I've still got these few things I need to deliver. What should I do? 
Uh, I knew all three deliveries were on Franklin Street. I was on Franklin Street, so they just said, deliver those things and come back. So I parked the van, delivered a few things. When I came back to the van, the van had been towed away. Um, two separate incidents. First, the accident. Then I parked in a place I shouldn't have parked, and the van was towed away. Uh, but uh, for some reason, they kept me on and uh, brought me into their tape duplication department. And then I ran that tape duplication department for a while. Then I was a night editor, digitizing footage, and I became a junior editor and then was editing by probably 1998 or so. Um, and then, boy, I'm going on here. And then uh, my wife and I decided we wanted a kid in, uh, in about 2001. And so we decided to move back to Albany, where we had her family and the support system. Um, and then we found out we were having twins. And I don't remember anything from March of 2002 until about midway through 2005. Uh, but I found a job here in uh, the Albany area, also editing. And then we had our daughter in, in 2005. Um, but that whole time, to get it back to sort of keto, uh, my weight had been fluctuating, you know, pretty wildly. Uh, I exercised for a, a little while and then would not. And um, so my weight just kind of yo-yoed for a long, for a long, long time, you know. Um, and that's, that's kind of what got me to, to where I, where I was when I started keto in, in 2017. Mm, okay. So, so yeah, thank, thanks for sharing all of that. You know, it's, it's so interesting to hear someone's backstory, um, and, you know, to, to sort of understand where you've come from and, and, and where you're going, obviously, uh, what was some of the motivation for you to start the low carb ketogenic diet? You said you, you sort of, um, yo-yoed a little bit around with your weight loss and I know you're, uh, you're running as well. And yeah, were you running at the time or, you know, what, what was that motivation and how did you actually, uh, find that intrinsic motivation to start something like a low carb ketogenic diet? Yeah. You know, yo-yoing is something that, I mean, it was probably close to 20 years. I had been yo-yoing, adding and subtracting 40 to 50 pounds every year or two. Um, and the motivation for keto was honestly not uh, anything that I thought, oh, this is it. It was just sort of, oh, here's another thing I can try. We'll see how this goes. Um, but a, a buddy of mine at work introduced me to it. Um, I had seen the word keto uh, in places like Reddit. I used to peruse, um, some subreddits, uh, looking at transformation pictures and trying to find something that would inspire me to actually keep the weight off. Uh, and I, so I'd seen keto in the word keto in passing and never really understood what it was about or, you know, how it was done. Um, but when my coworker introduced me to it, I, I kind of jumped in and researched it for a while, uh, and tried it. And, uh, I, immediately knew that it was something I wanted to do. I felt great. Um, you know, I, I lost uh, quite a bit of weight in the first couple months, probably 30 pounds or so. Uh, I binged all the um, episodes of, there's a podcast, Two Keto Dudes, that I found that I, I, I downloaded mm, and listened yep. to. Um, yep. That was like the first piece of keto content that I really kind of binged on. Um, and so... It was different, I felt, than any other sort of quote-unquote diet that I had ever been on. It felt, uh, I don't want to say easier, but it, it seemed like less of a struggle for me. And um, so right. it really was something that I knew I would be able to stick with. Um, and in November, I had gone from about 275 or 280 pounds when I started down to about 212. 
215. And that's kind of mm-hmm. where I am now. I've been maintaining since, since November of last year. Um, and, you know, I, I made some mistakes early on. I, I didn't know exactly. I mean, when I started, I didn't really understand what macronutrients were. I knew that pasta was carbs. I knew that oh, chicken yeah. was protein. <laughs> and that was kind of it. Like, I really was clueless. So I think a big part of it, in addition to it um, seeming uh, doable to me, was learning about it, educating myself about what nutrition actually meant. <laughs> I kind of made a big difference. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what got me into keto. And that's the um, the weight loss was great. But I think the, the other benefits are really kind of what kept me going with it. You know, I felt uh, a clarity mentally that I'd never felt before. I, you know, I had more energy. I felt like I was sleeping better. Uh, so all those things were, were really great. And that's why I've kind of kept with it. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting, you know, because uh, a lot of people do come from a background where, you know, they are just trying to fix either a weight issue or some other type of issue. And they come to a diet like the ketogenic diet, and they start to learn about macronutrients and then suddenly get injected into this because, you know, the ketogenic diet is not um, it, it like it, it, it is simple to follow once you know what you're doing. But I think that's at the, at first it can be really confusing. And like when you started, what, what were the type of meals that you were eating when you first started doing the ketogenic was it just eggs or, and steak, or did you ha- did you mix it up with other different types of meals or what did that look like for you? Um, that's a great question. It was mostly eggs. Uh, every morning I would wake up and I'd make myself, uh, sausage and eggs and avocado. That was sort of my go-to mm. breakfast. Uh, and for the first four days of starting, that's what I ate for breakfast. I'd come home and either either have more eggs or have a steak. Um, and on the, I remember the fourth day waking up thinking, "Oh man, I'm going to have some some eggs and some sausage and another avocado." And I woke up and I was like, "I don't, I don't want to eat anything." It was a really bizarre <laughs> sensation. Um, I could tell that something was different. Um, and, you know, uh, but yeah, those, those early meals were definitely mostly eggs uh, and, and steak. As I went along, I found that I did miss sweet stuff. So I tended to look for ways to have some sweet things. I, I, I made cheesecakes. I leaned heavily on Quest bars and I leaned heavily on, you know, protein shakes and, um, those things kind of kept me, kept me going, I think, kept me sticking to it. Uh, but the eggs, eggs were always sort of the, the staple for me. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And I, and I like your wording, how you said you, you leaned on those other things. Cause, um, you know, that they're, they're, they're a tool like those quest bars are, are really, really helpful when you're out because, you know, especially in Australia as well, quest bars are, are everywhere. And if you have that, inclination to um you know dive into something sweet then at least a quest bar is something that you can t- lean against to until that sort of craving subsides but uh, as you were saying before um you know the sausage and eggs and the avocado how did you go into the ketogenic diet thinking about cholesterol and what has the ketogenic diet taught you about cholesterol well i gotta tell you um my cholesterol was my single biggest fear um starting keto. I, um, was on medication for my, uh, high cholesterol. I've always had high cholesterol. It's always been, you know, uh, about in the 300 range that was, um, without medication. Uh, and then, so 
you know, I think it was uh, maybe 2011 or 2012. Um, my doctor didn't like the numbers that he saw on my blood work. It was, you know, I think my total cholesterol was above 300. My LDL was, I don't know, in the 250s or something. Um, and I thought, you know, if I start this crazy fat diet, it's going to kill me. I'm going to, you know, if there's going to be fat in my arteries, I'm going to have a crazy heart attack uh, and die. And I don't know that it's worth it. Um, but I researched a bit uh, those first few days. Like I said, that was the first thing I looked up was cholesterol and keto because it was, you know, it was honestly terrifying to me. And I, I, I didn't know if this was something that I could, could do. Um, but I saw reports and um, not necessarily looking for studies. I was just looking for anecdotes of people who had done it. Um, I know that re- medical, um, you know, clinically based studies are important. Um, and, but I didn't, I didn't initially seek those out. I was looking for who's, who's a person who's actually been in the situation I've been in and, and has done, done this. Um, and I, you know, I found a couple anecdotally people who had high cholesterol and had done keto and had, and had their numbers, uh, improve. Um, but what I found is that, uh, once I started keto, that whole way of thinking sort of shifted for me. Uh, and I realized that my cholesterol was not anything to be afraid of. Like I had been for pretty much, you know, not my entire life, but in the, the, the 10 years prior to starting keto, my cholesterol was always something that I needed to keep in check or it was going to, you know, it was going to be the end of me. Um, but in researching it, mm-hmm. um, and I've mentioned this guy before, uh, the research of, of Dave Feldman really put my mind at ease. Um, yeah, he's, he's been doing some cool, amazing research and he's not a doctor. He's, uh, he's like an engineer, computer engineer guy. He's, he's, a uh, he's crazy smart and he has come up with this, um, this term, this, uh, I don't know if he came up with it, but it's, it's, uh, a lean mass hyperresponder, And, and that's basically, uh, someone who's got high cholesterol, um, usually someone who's on the ketogenic diet, who's got high cholesterol, but as high, high LDL, high HDL is an important thing, and low triglycerides. Those three ingredients are sort of um, the key. And his theory is that the lipid system um, is not out to kill you. The lipid system is about delivering energy to your body. And LDL is just sort of along for the ride, and it's not something to be terrified of. Um, so that, that was a huge thing for me, um, making that, that turn mentally. Um, and once I did that, I was sort of uh, all in on getting tests done and, and proving uh, that, you know, it wasn't, that LDL wasn't the boogeyman that everyone said it was. And so, you know, I, I had a stress test done. I had a calcium scoring test done. And all those things came back really favorable. Um, and my, you know, uh, the presence of uh, cardiovascular disease um, is either very, very low or non-existent inside my heart and arteries. So, um, yeah, it's, it was, it was very reassuring to, to find that guy's research. Yeah. And you know, if you, if you look back and told yourself it was all going to be okay, you know, once you've done this research and once you've done, had all these tests, you know, it, it, it may have been easier to, to jump in, but again, you know, it's, it's a journey and going through that journey, you, you learn so much about not only yourself, but about, you know, lean mass hyperresponders and, you know, the difference between HDL and LDL and, and doctors end up telling you, you know, you've got high cholesterol, 
but you go to them and you say, well, I don't feel bad. Like what, why is this high, high cholesterol thing? You know, it's, it's going to kill me. I have this weird fear about it, but uh, I, I do have a question about um, Dave Feldman's protocol. And mm-hmm. uh, it, this is something that I found really, really interesting. Uh, now there's a difference between the HDL, uh, which is the larger particles, I believe, the LDL, which is the smaller particles, and then the triglycerides. And then there's something called, um, re- uh, what is remnant. it? It's called remnant cholesterol, yes. And and can you talk a little bit about that and maybe, um, you know, go into some of your numbers if you've got them? Sure. Um, well, uh, HDL and LDL are high-density lipoproteins and low-density lipoproteins. And they... Before this, um, before Dave Feldman, before I researched this guy, I always thought that those two numbers uh, added up is your total cholesterol. Um, but what he has found is that that's not the case. Uh, if you look back at all of your cholesterol tests and you add up the HDL and you add up the LDL, it does not equal total cholesterol. So the number that's left over is really the number to be focused on, and that's remnant cholesterol. And that is uh, either uh, very low-density lipoproteins, which are the ones that could cause atherosclerosis, atherosclerosis, he says. Uh, and uh, an intermediate, I believe, is another one, IDL. Um, but the lower that number is, the better, because uh, if that number is low, it means that cholesterol uh, is being and triglycerides are being delivered and used for energy like they're supposed to. Um, When they are just hanging out in the bloodstream, that's when um, they're considered remnant cholesterol, and that's the number to sort of of look at. Of course, I'm not any sort of doctor or medical professional, but uh, what I've found is that um, the lower the remnant cholesterol, the better. And so he, you asked about the protocol that he has. He has this, um, this way this is something I tried. It's on my YouTube channel. It's called the Feldman Protocol. I didn't get the results that I was looking for, um, but he has been in touch with me, and he said that there may be a different confounder that he hadn't um, brought forward up to that point, and it was uh, drinking coffee, being anywhere around coffee for like two or three weeks ahead of doing the protocol. But basically, the way it, yeah, the way it boils down is there's um, an inverse correlation between the amount of fat that you eat and the amount of cholesterol that will show up in your blood test. So there's a three-day gap. If you eat a ton of fat three days for the three days prior to your blood test, in theory, and I think this has been proven out in 85 or 90% of the people who have tried it, um, unfortunately, I'm in that 10%, um, it has dropped um, pretty substantially. Uh, And it makes sense because if you're eating, if you're fat adapted and you're eating fat for energy, that's what's going to get used. Uh, the fat, um, you know, if you're, there, there's, I'm sorry, did I say that wrong? I think I might have. If you're eating a lot of, it, basically, if you're eating a lot of fat, um, the fat or the, the cholesterol will be lower. Uh, and if you, uh, it, there's, there's, he basically graphed the, he took a blood test every day for, I think, a month and a half or something. Uh, every day, kept track of what he ate. And he's got a a graph line showing the amount of fat and a graph line showing the amount of cholesterol in this blood draw. 
And if you flip them, they are almost identical. Um, so it, it's pretty fascinating stuff um, that, that he obviously explains far better than I do. But it's really cool to check out. Oh, it's really interesting as well to hear it firsthand, you know, because uh, as you said before, he's not uh, a medical professional either, but he's just doing this out of his own research. And and uh, I listened to him on another podcast. I believe it was Keto Connect's podcast. And he was saying... Yes that um, he has, uh, you know, he goes and gets his blood tested a lot. Um, and yeah. interestingly, he, he, I believe he doesn't drink coffee. Is that why coffee might be a little bit of a, um, an altercation in some of your results as well? It very well may be. Um, he, you know, prior to when I started it, it was like um, there are a few things you have to avoid when you do the protocol. You have to avoid coconut oil. You have to avoid uh, MCT oil. And coffee while you're doing the protocol. Those have been shown to be confounders of the experiment. Um, but he's saying that um, coffee can have an effect on your resting metabolism uh, for weeks. So he said that uh, the next time I try it, and he was nice enough to say that the next time I try it, he would help me out with the blood tests, which I thought was amazing. Um, oh, well, wow. yeah. Awesome. He saw my video and he's like, that's really well, good job doing the protocol. Uh, next time you do it, go off coffee for a few weeks prior to starting do the same eat the same exact things keep everything exactly the same if you can uh, and i'll help you out with the um with the blood tests so that that's um amazing. i keep wanting to start that to start um weaning myself off of coffee has not happened yet uh <laughs> can't do it uh, but soon is he is he going to help you out with the weaning off the coffee oh, as I well or is that totally up I to think you that might just be on me. <laughs> Oh, that's great. You know, and uh, I'll link to the um, video of the Feldman's Protocol from uh, your YouTube channel in the show notes for this podcast. So if you're interested in watching that video, definitely go ahead and check it out. Um, and and you are an amazing video editor. I just have to say all of your YouTube videos are stellar. They are absolutely great. You know, the, the, the graphics and all of the text and everything, you know, I being a video editor, well, you know, <laughs> a little bit of a video editor myself, I know how much work goes into all of that. Um, so you have a YouTube channel and you have all of these things that you're doing with the ketogenic diet. How does having a YouTube channel, uh, you know, reflect what you do in your everyday life and how does it reflect on you eating the ketogenic diet? Do you feel like you have to sort of... Um, uh, you know, be be present when you when you do those things because you have something like the Dave Feldman protocol to actually record. Is that something that goes through your mind? Uh, it, it depends. I think for that one, uh, yeah, it's it's when I do a a specific task like that Feldman protocol, it was top of mind. Like everything that I ate, I knew that I needed to record because I was doing a video. Um, but in general, I I you know I've been editing video for over twenty years, so that I always knew that I kind of wanted to do something on YouTube because um, I had the requisite skills. Uh, I just never knew what my channel would be about. Like, what do I even make YouTube videos about? I watch, you know, I watch some YouTube channels that I, I like, like people reviewing music or movies or whatever. I don't, it just seemed like that is such a saturated market. Who would care what I said about that kind of stuff? But as soon as I started keto, um, I found... Uh, I think the first keto channel I watched was actually Headbangers Kitchen. Uh, I did a um, Sahil's channel is amazing. I I, um, I did his 
he has a dark chocolate cheesecake that that was one of the first things I ever made uh, after starting keto. And I've gone back to that video like at least five times to watch it. Um, but that was very inspiring. Keto Connect, uh, I found shortly after that. And uh, I was like, you know what? I can do some of this stuff. I feel like I should just kind of give this a go. Uh, I didn't have, you know, I've always been an editor. I've never really been into the production side of things. Uh, so I just have my phone and I have, you know, my daughter helping me shoot things sometimes. And that's all I got. And I slowly, you know, I saved up my pennies. I bought the equipment that I thought I would need. And, uh, you know, I, I think YouTube is a really unique platform because it's, um, you know, versus what I do every day at my nine to five job, I usually don't have any interaction with the people who watch the things that I edit for work. You know, it's, it's a, it's a video for an event or it's a video for a local commercial that'll be on. And I'm, you know, I don't really know how people are reacting to it. YouTube, uh, is so different in that, you know, I'm pretty much putting videos of me just eating stuff out there. Uh, this is what I'd be doing if I wasn't shooting it. I'm just kind of eating. Uh, and I have these great interactions with people and it's really pretty satisfying. Um, and so I, I, I enjoy doing YouTube. I've, I've, it's really kind of reinforced um, uh, the fact that I, I'm trying to be consistent with it. Like that consistency is something that I feel YouTube has sort of pushed uh, within me. I kind of, I feel like a, a video every Friday is an absolute must. And now it's to the point where Tuesdays are also sort of a must. Um, uh, you know, it's just little, you know, I, I've tried to stay on top of it. I have a schedule. I try to stick to it. Um, and that's how I feel like, you know, uh, things have progressed a little bit. I'm starting to get a few more eyeballs on my, my videos. Um, but it's something I really like. And it's something that, you know, I know how to do. And so keto really was the key for, like, opening that door for me. I had something that I was passionate about and something I could document. So it just really made sense. I will say that if anyone out there is considering starting a YouTube channel, invest in audio first. Get a good microphone because that is... Um, that's one of the most important things. They say that audio is more than half of what you see or something like that. Uh, yeah. At least that's what I've heard. I, um, it's, you know, uh, it's so awesome watching your videos and I think I must've sent you an Instagram story. Uh, oh no, sorry. Uh, Instagram message a while back. And I was just having such a hard time getting my own YouTube channel started. And I sent you a message and I said, you know, I've been really down about these YouTube videos recently and I feel like I'm not going anywhere. And I watched some of your videos and it just really picked me up. So not only thank you for that, um, and it's, you know, I didn't leave a comment on your video. So there must be so many people who have that exact same reaction without leaving a, a comment on your video. Like how does, how do those reactions and how do watching other people in the same community thrive off of not only your videos, but, you know, everything that comes out of them watching it or the consistency, you know, that, that definitely shines through in your videos. How, how, how does that make you feel in terms of um, going out and pushing record on a, on the next video that you're doing? I love it. I mean, I, you know, interacting with hearing people say that they like what I'm doing is crazy to me. I, you know, I, it's, uh, it's humbling. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm flattered when people say they, you know, look forward to my videos every week. It's, uh, you know, it's something, I don't know, it, it, it makes me feel nice. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. 
really warm and fuzzy. Um, but I, the thing I like about YouTube is that it really kind of opens the door to collaborations. Like I like doing collaborations with people. Speaking of which, you know, we got to hook something up here mm. sometime, buddy. Of course. Um, of one, course. Of the, one of the more fun things that I did over the past year was a collaboration. We did sort of a six-person collaboration around the turn of the new year uh, in early 2017. Uh, I did a collaboration across six channels. We all came up with a question that was going to be on each of our channels and uh, all took turns answering them. And then we'd send the answers to each of those questions to the right person. That person would assemble a video and post it on their channel. So all six of us were in all six videos. Um, it was a lot of fun. So shout out to those people. Oh, that's was, fantastic. Uh, Keto, in Can- yeah. Keto in Canada, yep. uh, Kelly Keto, uh, the Keto Dad, Keto B, and Caleb Busey. It was super fun. Uh, it took a long time to get together. I think we initially, when we planned on doing it, it was, um, you know, I think the initial idea was in September of 2017. Uh, and then we didn't actually get our stuff together until late in the year. And then we, someone said, why don't we just do this like at the turn of the year when people are sort of trying to start a new diet and it'll get, you know, a lot of, a lot of views that way. So, that was a lot of fun to do. That's awesome. And I'm going to link that in the show notes to this as well. Um, Cause yeah, I definitely agree. Those collaborations, especially when you talk to someone face to face or if you do a video with them or, you know, you're editing their part of the video and you really feel like you know them, that creates yeah. such a network of people and such a community of, of like-minded people that um, it really helps you not only uh, stay with your own type of diet, but, you know, also just give you something outside of your regular nine to five to really enjoy. And I think um, there's always three things in life. There's always work and there's always home and there's always got to be something else. And some, you know, some days one of those things is going to be pretty terrible. Um, but if you have those other things to fall back on, you know, it, it really brings joy to your life and it brings joy to other people's lives as well. But I also noticed that, um, you know, as well as doing YouTube videos, that when I first spoke to you, you would post photos on your Instagram that you'd just been out for a run. And I was like, whoa, okay, wait, <laughs> hang on. <laughs> He's a runner as well. Oh my gosh. Not only do we have the same name, but we also run and, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure we're a, a, around the same size. So you're six foot three, yes. if I'm not correct. Yep. Okay. So, so I'm six foot five. So we're both these tall dudes that go out and run and tower over people when we go to races. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about your running and, and you know, what, how running has changed for you over the past maybe five years? Yes. Being a tall person, I step right on top of people. <laughs> um, no, uh, running is something I've been doing for a long time. I picked it up, uh, you know, back in the days when I was sort of yo-yoing. That would be a way that I would sort of get the pendulum swinging in the other direction. Um, diet was never something that I really focused on too much, but if I was exercising and running, I felt like things were moving the right direction. Um, and, you know, I started slow. Uh, you know, I remember being really heavy and laboring to get a half a mile in uh, and then, you know, you just gradually sort of increase your distance, increase the time that you're out there. Uh, and I, I think it was 2011, I did a 15K near my house, um, an official race. I had never done like an official race before with a starting line and, a, you know, a finish line. It's very exciting. Uh, and I kind of got the fever for it. And I continued on and I decided I would sign up for a marathon, uh, which I ran in 2012. 
And initially I dreaded it. I, as, as soon as I clicked the submit button and it said, you're entered. And there was no backing out. I was like, what have I, what have I just done? Uh, but you know, it really, one of the main reasons I did it was to show my kids that you can do hard things and you can work toward doing hard things and it can be worth it. And I just wanted to, you know, set an example for them, not necessarily lecture at them or talk their ears off, but show them quietly that working on something on a long-term goal can work and it can, and it can pay off and it can um, be rewarding. So that was, that was the reason I did the marathon and I, I did like it. I'm not going to say that I loved it because uh, I was on the standard American diet at the time and my nutrition was awful. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, I think the night before the race, I just, because I heard you're supposed to carbo load the, the night before. I think I had a couple of potatoes and it was just full of carbs the next day. Um, and I ended up hitting the wall at about, I don't know, mile 20 or 21 and walking for a few miles, um, but ultimately finishing. But uh, I felt like, uh, you know, my body was just turning off you know, about about 20 miles in and it was just there was nothing left but finishing was nice my kids were there they were a little bit younger so you know i don't know that i that they really understood why i did it or 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 anything like that but they were there at the end and they had chocolate milk for me um which i had texted my wife please make sure you have chocolate milk for me at the uh, finish line and i remember very vividly my kids coming up to me with chocolate milk and I basically straight armed them um, to get out of the way as I grabbed the chocolate milk and I just pounded it. Um, that standard American diet, man. So yes, running on keto is, is uh, definitely a different thing. It's night and day. Uh, the tank is a lot more full uh, and it feels a lot better. My, the recovery days are so much better. I'm not sore for a day and a half after a long run. Uh, so yeah, being keto, that's another benefit to, to being Fat adapted is that running uh, is a lot is a lot more pleasant. Mm, yeah, it's interesting. It's it's so awesome that you did the you know you did the fifteen k's and then you decided to do the marathon, but you led by example. Um, for your kids and you know that they may not necessarily have remembered everything and you know why why you did the marathon but they 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 watch you know kids definitely watch and they they learn not necessarily um you know about the reasons why you're doing all of this but they take it in and they say you know it's okay to do these hard things and it's okay to get out at you know whatever time in the morning and go for a run and come back and be totally energized when they wake up i remember doing that a lot my partner would be still asleep by the time i come back and i'd jump into bed and i'd be like what's going on <laughs> and it, it, it you know it creates a lot of enjoyment for their start of the day too sometimes <laughs> sometimes if they <laughs> Sometimes, you know, if they just wanted to sleep and you took the wrong turn and, and maybe, <laughs> you know, jumped in. But uh, you, you said the, the recovery days uh, were, were much shorter and, you know, you started running uh, a lot more. So what do, what do you do when you go out for a long run, like uh, like something like even like a half half marathon or a full marathon? How do you prepare for something like that? on the ketogenic diet and how is that different to the standard American diet, you know, where you said you're carb loading beforehand. How, how has that changed right. for you? Uh, it's completely different. Um, back 
back then, I would think going out without eating is insanity. What are you doing? Get some food in you. Um, and today it's kind of the opposite. It's sort of like, what are you doing eating? Just go out. You don't need to eat anything. Get up, put your shoes on and go. Uh, fasted running uh, is the best. Um, I, this last weekend, I, I, went out, I went out to do an indeterminate. I, I did not know how long I was going to run for. Um, I, I actually had to pick up my car because my wife and I had gone to a happy hour the night before. Um, I left my car at her office, so, and then we drove back home together. Uh, so the next morning, I had to go. I didn't want to wake her up. Her office was what I believed to be about nine miles away, and I said, you know what? I'm just going to get up and run to the car and drive it home. Uh, so that's what I did, and all I took with me was um, I have a, like a hydration vest. I put some water in the little bladder that goes into it, put some Himalayan sea salt in it, and just went. Uh, and, you know, it was five or six years ago, that would have seemed like crazy town. Like, why aren't you taking any gels with you? Don't you need some, you know, you need some kind of sugar to get you through this thing. Um, but these days it's completely different and my body has all the fuel it needs on it. Uh, and that's how I prefer to go out. Um, but for longer runs, I will bring out a little bit of, um, I, I bought some nut butter, uh, a couple of weeks ago, which, which was nice. Um, but for the most part, I try to keep it very, very minimal, mm, yeah. you know, not a whole lot until I get home and then I can pound some protein, um, uh, like a steak if I, if I'm able to, uh, but mm. that's, that's usually what I do. That's so awesome, you know, and, and it's, it's great to be able to do those little endurance efforts when you need to, like, uh, previously you would never have thought of not only going out and taking no food with you to get the car, but getting the car in general. Like you wouldn't have said, oh, I'm, go I'm just going to run to the car. Most people would be a little bit profounded about that. They go, why, you know, why couldn't you just take a taxi or why wouldn't you just wake up your wife? But it's all of these things that add up to, you know, that consistency and that, uh, that feeling of you can do this and, and especially running, uh, in a ketogenic low carb state, you can run for a long time and you are mentally alert. I remember running, uh, you know, back on the standard Australian diet and I would get to a certain point and everything would just sort of go not only whitewash, but you would just be in this little pain cave and you weren't really experiencing what was in front of you and you were just running and you were looking at your watch and that was about it. But now from experience, I can, I can see everything that's around me. I can actually go for a run and remember what the trees looked like as I was yeah. running past because uh, have you experienced that as well? I absolutely have. When you said that, I was like, Oh my God, I know exactly what you're talking about on the standard American diet. There got to a point in my runs where I just felt dumb. Like I, I, my brain would turn off. I would try to figure out how, what my pace had to be to get to a certain place by a certain time. And I could not figure it out. My head was just gone. Um, and I couldn't think like, and I remember after running that marathon feeling, um, like I couldn't think like I, I had no, there was no, nothing left for my brain. Um, but nowadays I feel sharp as a tack. Like I'll, I'll run a half marathon and be, you know, good to go and work on homework with my kids or whatever. And I'm, I'm fine. Uh, but yeah, that I definitely remember feeling that feeling that way on the standard American diet and exercising. Mm, yeah. And, no, it's, it's really exciting. Have you, have you got any runs or races or anything in the future that you're working towards at the moment? I am working towards something, uh, 
but it's still, I still haven't figured it out yet. I really need to make a choice soon. I'm either doing um, the same marathon that, I did, marathon that I did in 2012. It's the Mohawk Hudson Marathon here in the Albany area. It's one of the easier marathons in the country to do. It's mostly downhill. Uh, so I did that before. I'm also considering doing with my buddy um, in Vermont in, I believe, October, uh, a mountain ridge run. It's a 25-miler. Um, the elevation is an issue because uh, I don't do a lot of hills. I don't have a lot of miles in on hills as of right now. So I may be leaning toward the marathon a little bit, but who knows? Um, one of those two things is going to happen. Mm. Well, whichever one you choose, I'm sure everyone will be backing you and uh, and watching your progress on Instagram and Strava and YouTube and whatnot. So that, yeah, it's really exciting. <laughs> it's uh, And from experience, I know it's awesome to have a goal to, you know, sort of point your training towards. But it also is great just going out and running and, and you know, disconnecting from technology a little bit as well. Um, I wanted to uh, m- maybe verge away from running and talk about some uh, some quick questions. These are sort of rapid fire questions okay. about, some, you know, some of your uh, favorite foods and, you know, a, a whole bunch of different things. But we'll leave, we'll leave that up to the question and, uh, you know, just – Give me the first thing that comes to your mind, and it. It, it, it's, it's going to be a little bit spontaneous, but that's totally okay. So, okay. first question: What is your favorite low carb food? Like, what is your favorite ever low carb food? Uh, eggs, scrambled eggs, scrambled, fried, hard boiled, in that order. Oh, okay, scrambled, fried, hard boiled. Okay, so hard boiled is at the end. All right, all right. So, uh, the second question: What is your least favorite low carb? keto food or something that most people like that you don't like with a bullet olives no question i don't i don't know what it is about olives that they and i have never gotten along yeah fair enough i think olives are one of those uh you know seesaw type foods where some people love them and some people hate them i i always remember my sister she would uh go to the shops and and i was like well what do you want to get and she's like i'm just gonna get a jar of olives (laughs) I was like, what? A whole jar? You're going to eat? Yeah. And she's like, yep, yeah, I'm going to eat a whole jar of So that, that would be your worst nightmare. Oh, <laughs> no, thank you. If I had to choose, I would do black over green. I think green olives are the worst okay. for me. But if you, you know, if I had ah. to, I would choose black over green. I still don't like, don't like either of them. So no Greek salads for you? Not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, uh, uh, food aside, uh, what is a book or video that has recently inspired you? You know, recently thought you, uh, you know, made you think you could do something really special. Ooh, I've got one, one for each of these. Um, the book that I've been reading um, is called Mastery by George Leonard, uh, and it's yep. um, when I saw that I saw Matt from Keto Connect recommend it, and I thought to myself, I don't know. It sounds like a find your inner strength kind of book is, I don't know if that's for me. I don't know that I need to hear about how to live my best life. It seems a little weird, Um, but I've been reading it and it's really, really good. Uh, It's sort of about the main thing I've taken from it is that uh, success or progress is not uh, a straight diagonal climb. It comes in fits and spurts and it's all about sort of embracing plateaus, uh, which I really uh, have enjoyed. So I'm about halfway through that. The video uh, that I can't stop watching, and I'm a couple weeks late to the party on it. I mean, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be maybe old news. Uh, but the new chi- the new uh, Childish Gambino video, This Is America, I don't know if you've seen that. It is, um, it's art with a capital A. You need, I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen it? 
Yes, I've seen it. And uh, my girlfriend showed it to me. I think it was the day it came out. Oh my gosh, it is so filled with so many subliminal messages and so many great things, you know, especially um, it's particularly interesting uh, from an Australian perspective because uh, we, you know, we're, we're sort of like the, the younger cousin to America <laughs> in many ways. But um, when it comes to things like, you know, the guns that were showed in the video clip, there's, you know, there's so many things that really just blew my mind and I thought, wow. Yeah, I totally agree that that video clip is is just a revolutionary for for today's day and age. I think it's amazing, and I saw a really um, hilarious tweet about it. I'm I'm not a big hip hop fan. I don't know much about it. I know that, um, but I know enough to, that this tweet made me laugh. Whoever it was said that um, Donald Glover is doing what Kanye West thinks he's doing, <laughs> and I, I found that very very funny. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a good film clip. I'll put it in the show notes. I'm putting all of these things in the show notes and also, uh, you know, links to Keto Connect and Headbangers Kitchen, who we were right. talking about before. Oh, not for young eyes, that Childish Gambino uh, video. No. Yes. Don't, don't watch it in front of your kids um, because it is a little bit explicit and I believe <laughs> YouTube uh, indicates that as well. So um, what... Now, I know you're big into music and I, I used to be a musician as well. Uh, so this is going to be a really, really fun question. I think this is more of a personal interest from me. Um, but what music have you been listening to recently and what are your all-time favorites? Oh, my goodness. Both questions? Awesome. Um, <laughs> my newest discovery is this uh, artist called Saint Lennox, L-E-N-O-X. He's a New York City singer-songwriter. He's got a really unique vocal delivery. He's lyrically very dense uh his latest album is called i think 10 hymns from my american gothic but is the album that i listened to first and my favorite one is called 10 songs about memory and hope both are really interesting um pretty pretty cool uh and as far as my mm. all-time favorites go i'm gonna just rattle off a bunch of names off the top of my head yep rem they might be giants ween radiohead Mountain Goats, Neutral Milk Hotel, St. Vincent, Elliot Smith, Pavement, Death Grips, Decemberists, John Vanderslice, uh, the Hamilton soundtrack. That's probably enough. Wow. That, 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 uh, uh, was it um, Radiohead, REM? Those bands are fantastic. There were a few in there that I don't know that I'm going to have to research and uh, get back to you, and I'm sure I'm going <laughs> to you know, send you some stories of me listening to that, <laughs> that music. So oh, that's really – okay, so I have another short question. Um, are you someone who listens to the lyrics first or are you someone who listens to the music first? Ooh, that's very, very interesting. Um, I think that I'm about the music first most of the time. Uh, if the lyrics are really easy to understand, like I, I can hear what they're saying and I understand the words that they're saying, then maybe the lyrics come first. But I think a lot of the time it's all about the music first. And then, uh, and then I dig into the lyrics if I can, I guess it depends. It varies uh, from artist to artist, I guess. Yeah. I, 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 I how about you? What, what are you oh, I'm music, 100%. I will listen to a song a thousand yeah. times before I ever listen to the lyrics, <laughs> which is crazy. Like, I, you know, I listen to a lot of instrumentals and that's totally okay with me, but sometimes that would bore someone. And I don't know what it is, but sometimes music without lyrics is just 
really special because you have to do so much more work to actually make it interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, lyrics and uh, there's there's something that's called slam poetry that's also very similar to uh, just you know very heavily lyric based music um, right. and it's yeah it's fantastic. But oh that that they're so good. I'm gonna have to go and check out all of those artists you just said. Um, and okay, so this is the last question and it's something, you know, uh, that I'm really excited to hear. And I, I asked this question to some people, you know, some people don't really want to do it because, you know, just for personal reasons, but I'm so glad you said yes. And I'm so excited to hear it now. I'm sure everyone just wants to know the question because I've talked it up so much. Um, <laughs> I want you uh, to, you know, describe in your own words your favorite recipe in tantalizing detail. Make someone want to go and try this recipe as soon as they finish listening to this podcast. All right, I will do my best. Uh, should I reveal what it is or should I just... I'll, I'll, you know what? I'll do this. Um, mm, okay. In the mornings, uh, I'm usually very groggy. And I will come downstairs and I will turn on my Keurig coffee maker and I will pop into its little pouch a packet of wild mountain blueberry coffee. Uh, and that's, that's, that's what I do to start. And I will brew it into a mason jar. And into that mason jar, I will drop uh, one to two tablespoons of heavy whipping cream, uh, one to two tablespoons of Kerrygold butter, a tablespoon of MTT oil, a teaspoon of Truvia, uh, a tablespoon of Philadelphia cream cheese, and a raw egg. And I'll blend this all up and have about a 600-calorie bulletproof coffee in the morning. Uh, and that really gets me through until usually late in the evening. Uh, it's, it's a meal, uh, <laughs> and it's delicious. And I owe the cream cheese inspiration to my friend PJ Vogt. Uh, on Instagram, genius. It's it's no coffee. Ooh, okay. That okay. I have I have so many questions about this recipe um, because it it is particularly interesting to me. Um, Wild Mountain Blue Coffee is that what it was? Wild Mountain Blueberry Coffee. Yes. Blueberry coffee. Can okay. What is it? How do we get it? <laughs> What does it taste like? Can you explain that uh, to it's me? It's from a company called Green Mountain. I'm not sure if they're available in Australia. Uh, but it's basically okay. normal coffee with, you know, uh, the flavor of blueberry sort of added to it. Oh, my gosh. Uh, it's, wow. It's delightful. It, and it's very uh, divisive. I think a lot of people enjoy blueberry coffee. A lot of people uh, despise it. So I am on team <laughs> blueberry coffee. Uh, everyone else is wrong. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and uh, you said, uh, you know, adding cream cheese to coffee. I think that's probably something that's uh, on most people's bucket list, but they might not have tried it yet. But the raw egg. Now, I did a, uh, I did a YouTube video recently where I actually put a raw egg into the coffee uh, and – that was inspired by you because I had seen it on your stories. Yeah. I'd seen it on your stories and I thought that's crazy. And I, and I was, you know, just in the moment and I turned the camera on and put it on record. And I said, uh, I was doing a whole bunch of videos with using eggs basically. And I put this raw egg in the coffee and I, I, uh, you know, mixed it up and I was pleasantly surprised. It is the most delicious thing that I've ever added to coffee besides butter. 
Really? And I owe that to you. Yeah. Wow. Because for me, for me, it's not really about the taste. I mean, I, I enjoy the taste of it. Uh, I find it almost imperceptible. I mean, maybe it's because I'm adding all this other stuff to this coffee that I'm making. Um, but I did it really kind of for the, uh, just for the protein, uh, just for a little bit of a kick of protein with my coffee. Um, and the texture, maybe it's, it adds a little bit to the texture. Uh, but I find it to be a newly imperceptible. That's interesting. Mm, okay. I think the texture was the biggest thing for me because I am a huge fan of eggnog. I love adding eggs to smoothies and things like that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, just that fast blend of eggs that nothing else really replaces it. Uh, you know, adding MCT oil to a coffee, if you don't mix it right, it adds this, you know, just layer up the top and your first yep. sip is an entire tablespoon of MCT oil. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, adding the eggs and mixing it up properly is just, yeah, that's amazing. All right, I'm going to have to try this recipe and I'm sure people people listening to this podcast are, are also going to try this recipe. If you don't, that's totally okay as well. If raw eggs and, you know, wild mountain blueberry coffee isn't your thing, then that's all right. <laughs> Uh, just promise me you're going to give it a try because this is, uh, this is really awesome. You know, I love these creative recipes and I love hearing, you know, how, how to make things uh, just a little bit different. So thank you for sharing that recipe. Of course. <laughs> All right. So um, I wanted to wrap up today on uh, just, you know, telling people where they can find you, how they can connect with you and wh maybe where they can learn a little bit more about what you do and, and how you do it. Sure. Um, well, I'm the, the place where I hang out most is Instagram. Uh, and you can find me uh, at Instagram. My handle is ADKeto. There are periods between the A. It's, it's A period, D period, Keto. And I like to hang out in stories quite a bit. Uh, you know, I don't post something to my feed every day, but I'm usually pretty active in my stories. Uh, my stories. Sounds like a soap opera. Um, and so that's where I am most of the time. You can also find my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash adketo. I post new videos every Friday and usually have a product review video on Tuesdays. Uh, and that is pretty much it. Oh, Twitter uh, at ad underscore keto. No periods between those letters. Mm. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Awesome. And uh, I just remembered as well, there is one more question that I would really love to ask you. And this is something that I sure. asked Andy Rabbit Gaines as well. Um, can you tell us a little bit about monster orders and, ah. and, and, and how, you know, your monster orders differ from, from everyone else's? Um, it's funny. Uh, the aforementioned Dave, anti-gravity anti Gaines, the guy you had on last week, uh, he and I are good pals on Instagram. And one evening, he posted something uh, about ordering in a monster voice or, or wanting to order at a drive-thru in a monster voice. And I, I could not stop laughing about it. Just the thought of doing this and imagining the reaction of the person in the box really, really tickled <laughs> me. So we, you know, we decided we'll make a pact and we'll do it and we'll post it on our stories. And if people want to join in, it's cool. You have to be a really uh, a certain special kind of weirdo to want to, growl into uh, the box at Starbucks but um, or at McDonald's or wherever you are. So he and I uh, did a few of them. A few other people did as well. The aforementioned PJ did some. A few other people, I think. Uh, and basically, you roll up to the drive-thru window, begin to place your order as you normally would, 
But at a certain point, this is at least my method. I think Dave growls from the get-go. I like to spring the growl like three quarters of the way through the order. So, for example, I would roll up to Starbucks and say, hi, uh, I'd like to order uh, a Trenta cold brew with light ice, heavy whipping cream, and four pumps of sugar-free vanilla sweetener, please. And it's, it's so much fun because the person is either on board and, you know, monster voicing back to you, or they're just very business. They are like all business and like very buttoned up and like no fooling around. I've had both, I've had it both ways. So, uh, it's, it's pretty fun and weird and, uh, just a, a funny thing that we do. Shout out to AGG for being the father of that movement. It's, uh, it was very fun. Uh, it's so awesome. And I, I was exactly the same when I first saw it. I was laughing for a long time. And uh, do, do your, I, I have to ask, do your orders always come out correct or do they sometimes oh, mess a few things up? I've had, um, I think one of the monster orders actually came back incorrect. Um, and I was so, here's the thing. I was so in my monster head at the time that I wasn't paying attention to the responses that I was getting. <laughs> Uh, so I, I placed my order like a monster, you know, heavy whipping cream, four pumps of sugar-free vanilla. And they said, so you want cream on it? And, or whipped cream, you want whipped cream on it? And I just said, heavy whipping cream. And they said, okay. <laughs> and so I pulled around and they had put, you know, they give you like the, the bulbous top so they can fit all the, the whipped cream in there. It's, it was just right. all sugar. And I don't even know that they did the sugar-free vanilla sweetener. Um, and I realized after the fact that I could have just said no and had him replace it, but I drove away and just accepted the fact it was worth the $5 to growl at them. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They don't always get it right, but they usually do. Oh, that's so awesome. Look, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Aaron. And it's been a real pleasure to hear your story and, you know, everything from your music taste to Monster Orders. So again, thank you so much. And we will definitely have to collaborate on a YouTube video sometime very soon. Oh, thank you for having me, my friend. I really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you no so much for listening. Thanks, Aaron. If you Thank loved you so this podcast, much for listening, make sure you, you hit subscribe podcast, to be notified make sure next you hit week subscribe when the podcast to be notified arrives. next week. If you could do one small act of kindness for today, I would greatly appreciate it. I would greatly appreciate it. It's really easy and allows me to keep making podcasts just like this one every week. Head on over to fatforweightloss.com.au for the latest updates and all the latest updates. Until next week. Until next week.